0: Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, Grace Felexit. Grace Perez-Navarro has been a mainstay of the tax community for three decades, working first at the IRS Office of the Chief Counsel and later at the OECD Center for Tax Policy and Administration. She has worked under two separate CPTA directors – and most recently, took over for Pascal saint after his departure. But now, Grace is set to move on. As her retirement approaches, Tax Notes Chief Correspondent Stephanie Sung caught up with her to discuss her plans for the future, as well as her time in the trenches of tax policy. Stephanie, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So could you tell us a bit about what you talked about with Grace?
1: Well, we talked a little bit about her career, her career trajectory, you know, how she started out in Houston, Texas, ended up in Paris, France. And, you know, the effect her work has had on international tax policy, you know, the future of the OECD as a standard setting body. Uh, we talked about the her accomplishments and, and what she's most proud of, what she wishes she could have worked on, you know, during her tenure at the OECD. You know, we just wanna get a sense of, you know, her final departing thoughts of her career about her career at the OECD. Um, you know, she, she's been, I, I've been covering her since 2011 um, 2012, um, so it's been a long time. So it was a really nice a nice conversation. It's always great to see Grace. Um, she's always been a very good source and, and you know, wish her all the best in her future endeavors.
0: All right, let's go to that interview.
1: All right, well, thank you so much, Grace, for coming by our studio and the Tax Analyst Building. It's an honor to have you here especially since you're super busy these days. So thank you for coming. My pleasure. It's my first
2: time here. Maybe my first time in Falls Church.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, hopefully not your last, but you're always welcome back. So I just wanted to catch you before you leave the OECD, which is really the end of an era I've been covering you for since basically when I started. So in 2011, so a very long time. So we'll be sad to see you go. But we wanted to ask you a few questions, you know, before you leave and get your thoughts on, you know, where, you know, how your career has taken off, where you're going, what are you doing next? You know, what can we expect from the OECD in the years you're not there, which is really sad. So let me just start by asking, you know, your your journey to become the head of the CTPA started in Houston, Texas. Uh, You were at the IRS's chief counsel office in the 1990s. Uh, and you're working on international tax issues like negotiating tax treaties and information exchange agreements. Tell us more about your career trajectory. You know, Did you ever expect to find yourself where you are now?
2: No, I'm not sure. Uh, I guess it depends how far back you go. I'm not sure I would have expected to have become a tax lawyer. But I was talking recently with uh, some other tax lawyers, and we were all talking about how what we loved about tax was – the, the flexibility, the constant change in tax, and how it is not strictly black and white. And so there are so many opportunities to, uh, to play with tax. And I think that is what attracted me to it, um, the complexity of it and the versatility of it. And um, so I did end up going to the IRS in Houston, working primarily on litigation. Um, I was very excited to be given the opportunity to go to Washington to work in the new, what was then the new international uh, division, uh, because I had always wanted to work on international issues. And so uh, my litigation background from Houston served me very well. Um, I had been doing some tax shelter litigation there, and then I got to Washington and started working on... Brazilian foreign tax credit cases. I'm still working with Brazil, but on different issues. But that was really interesting. And because I speak Spanish, I started working on the Mexican tax treaty, other tax treaties. And I mean, I just, I I loved it. I loved my work in Houston. It was a lot of fun doing litigation. I really liked doing tax treaty negotiations and also the international litigation which was much harder than the litigation we were doing in Houston because much more was at stake. The litigation teams on the other side were much bigger. We were basically like two people. Uh, So it was much more challenging but also uh, really fascinating. So, I mean, all of that was great. And then the opportunity arose to go to the OECD, for one year and that ultimately translated into more than 25 years and I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a very hard job. It's had its political ups and downs depending on uh, who is in not only the White House but in other uh, leadership roles around the world but uh, I do think we've achieved a tremendous amount um, at the OECD during my tenure. I mean when I was hired, uh, one of the big issues, and I think part of the reason Jeffrey Owens hired me was to work on bank secrecy, which is what I had told him was something that needed to be fixed. I was very frustrated in Washington when we would get the field auditors saying they can't get information out of Switzerland, like the trails were leading to Switzerland. And I would say to Treasury, please go and terminate that treaty. And they'd say, yeah, yeah, and come back with a new treaty. So uh it was something that could not be resolved unilaterally, at, you know, even though the United States is the number one economy in the world, it still was not able to address this issue alone. And I think that is uh, the biggest achievement of the OECD, is being able to bring countries together to uh, facilitate change in fundamental areas where countries otherwise couldn't resolve the problem. So so it's been just, a, I mean, a great great career for me doing that. Then with the BEPS project, um, making so many changes in so many countries and bringing so many countries together to work on these issues and doing sort of the the after-sales service, all the capacity building and support for countries and all the different programs we've put in place, like the Tax Inspectors Without Borders, which is really helping developing countries a lot. I mean, for every dollar we put in, It's a $120 return on average. I mean, you can't get that kind of return on anything. Um, So it's been really wonderful. I mean, I I have to say I've enjoyed every job. Uh, So if I had stayed at the IRS, I think I would have been very happy there. But um, being at the OECD, we're able to have impact really on a global scale. And that has been very rewarding.
1: And you officially retire uh, at the end of March. And, you know, last we talked, you were about to become the director of the CTPA. And so how has it been for you for these past few months and in your tenure? How has it been?
2: Well, it's been uh, very challenging. You know, it's a, it's an odd time to become director four or five months before retiring. Um, and it's been a very challenging period. We have not only the pillars to deliver, um, you know, getting pillar two out the door, Uh, was a big lift, but we did it. So that um, was challenging, but we did it. Um, We still have the multilateral convention to deliver, and that is moving along, but, uh, you know, it's not easy. Um, And then we launched the Inclusive Forum on Carbon Mitigation Approaches, another major initiative where we're trying to bring over 100 countries together to work on this issue. So all of that has made it for a very intense period. So I'm definitely not cruising to the finish line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the inclusive framework on carbon mitigation, I think, is super important, too, especially because of that report from the UN um, saying that we have to make some major progress by in, in like 2020, 2030, 2050, or else we'll see some really serious environmental effects. So that's a huge deal. And so, you know, obviously you were the first woman to become a CTPA director. How significant was this for you? And how significant is it for you that you're passing the baton on to Manal Corin?
2: Well, I didn't actually think of it so much as being the first woman. Um, So that didn't really influenced me a whole lot. Uh, I am very happy I'm passing it on to another woman. I guess it didn't matter so much for me because it was a limited tenure, but I am happy to see that we will have a woman at the head of CTP and also such a capable woman. Um, So I'm really happy about that. Uh, We do have um, very few women at the top of CTP. We only have uh, Zaida Manata, who's the head of the global forum, and uh, we have now Sandra Kneppen acting as the head of one of the divisions. But um, we need to do better, and so I'm glad that at least at the very top we have a woman. I have been struck over the last few months how many young women have come to me and said, "You don't know how much it's meant to me to have you there as a role model." and uh, You know, I think for women in leadership roles, we often don't realize just by being there at a senior position, we give younger women hope and inspiration to aim high.
0: Support for this podcast is provided by the 5th Annual UCI Law Tax Symposium, Taxation of Crypto Assets. Join us for a full-day virtual symposium that will be held on Monday, April 17th. This event will address current developments in the taxation of crypto assets in the United States and abroad. James Lee, Chief of IRS Criminal Investigation, will deliver the keynote. This event is approved for continuing legal education credit by the State Bar of California. Registration is free. To register for the symposium, please visit law.uci.edu slash gradtax slash events. That's law.uci.edu slash grad tax slash
1: events. Speaking of strong women and awesome women, I want to give a shout out to my colleague, uh, Nana Amasarfo, who wrote a really great piece on you when you first became CTPA director. You said during that profile that your priority was finalizing pillar one and pillar two, and you mentioned this a little briefly earlier. Um, is there anything you can tell us at this stage? Do you feel like that goal has been fulfilled? And you know, can you up- update us with anything new?
2: Yes. Um, Well, I can say a few things. Um, One, on Pillar 2, uh, I think we're all very satisfied at CTP that we have delivered the global minimum tax. Obviously, there is more guidance that will be coming out. We're really ramping up our capacity building because so many countries, especially developing countries, want to implement the minimum tax, and we want to make sure they are able to do it and to do it in a consistent manner so that later on when we do peer reviews, we don't have to go back and have them do more legislation. So um, that has been a tremendous uh, success. You know, if you think about when I first started at the OECD, I arrived in the middle of 1997 um, and the harmful tax competition project was underway and being finalized. And Back then, you could not have talked about establishing a global minimum tax. As much as countries were concerned about tax competition, they they weren't able to agree then. They didn't even talk about a minimum tax. Some, I, One was talking about, well, just zero tax in itself should be considered a harmful tax practice. But obviously, uh, with only one country supporting that view, uh, that did not win the day. And now we do have a minimum tax that is putting a floor on tax competition to help all countries protect their tax bases. So I think that is a major achievement. Um, We are making good progress on the other part of Pillar 2, the subject to tax rule, which, you know, in the grander scheme of things is not huge, except it is very important for developing countries that may have negotiated treaties that did not end up being so favorable to them. And so this is a way to help developing countries protect their tax uh, base. So that we hope uh, to finalize soon. Then on Pillar 1, we have the Multilateral Convention. Uh, We have been making progress. You have seen all the different public consultation documents we've put out Um, We are, you know, heading towards the finish line. We are supposed to finalize it by the middle of the year. We are making uh, progress. There are still some tough issues to resolve, but I think there is a real uh, determination and goodwill in the inclusive framework to try to get there. Um, On amount B, which people often forget about, the simplification of transfer pricing, We are finally making really good progress on that. And I think if we nail that, that will be a major, major achievement not only for tax administrations uh, that are challenged in administering the transfer pricing rules, which, as you know, it's facts and circumstances, and so you have to to look at this with every case. And for developing countries, they often don't have comparables, and they have limited resources, so it's a real challenge. So if we can take a big chunk of these fairly routine cases off the table with simplification— that will be a benefit for all and business is very supportive. So I think it's a win-win and it looks like we'll be able to get there. So I would say, you know, it's a shame it's not all done. Uh, I would would have liked that and we're not there yet, but I think we're getting close and I think the question will be, you know, um, can we nail down these difficult issues? Are countries willing to make compromises?
1: So launching off that a little bit, how do you think the role of the OECD will evolve as a tax standard setter for international tax in the future, you know, after you've left?
2: Well, I think it's already evolved quite a bit. And so I think it will just continue along the same path, which is to work with a wider group of countries to develop standards. And then the other important part that we added Uh, was the capacity building and support afterwards. So if you go back to when I first arrived at the OECD, we would just set standards. And while we did do some consultation of other countries, basically the standards were being set by OECD countries. And then everyone was pretty much left to their own devices to implement. And so even if you had a beautiful standard, it might get implemented in different ways. And and we see that happening. And business always complains about that, that, you know, we have set a standard, but then countries aren't applying it consistently. And so we've done, I think, a good job over the years of not only supporting um, countries in implementation, but also the peer review process, I think, is really important to make sure there is consistency and no sort of slipping backwards um, and not implementing the standards in the appropriate way. So I think we will just continue on that path. I mean you can already see like in the inclusive forum on carbon mitigation, there we're not even trying to set standards. What we're trying to do is gather data from all the countries about what pricing and non-pricing measures they're taking and then mapping those to the emissions they're they're trying to target in the different uh, sectors, and having a dialogue, allowing countries to talk about what works well, what doesn't, what could help them. Because as you said, the, the goals that each country has set for itself will not be met with the measures that they're currently taking. So more needs to be done. And the question is, what more can be done, both from a political perspective, which You know, carbon taxes are just not something that many countries can implement. And so what other alternatives can be used to do that? And I think this this data dialogue, and in this case, ultimately leading to decarbonization, my three Ds, um, you know, is a good model going forward. Um, But I think what we have done already in terms of evolving in how we carry out our work is we're just putting much, much more emphasis on facilitating implementation and ensuring that it's consistent.
1: And how do you think the role of the OECD CTPA director will change after you depart?
2: Well, I think for one thing, now uh, I am being replaced as deputy with two deputies. And so uh, I've already spoken to Manel about that. She needs to think about how she wants to divide up that role and then what her role is in uh that whole mix. Um but other than that, I don't know that it will change that much um, because the areas of work that we are doing um will remain largely the same. You know, we have very we now pretty much cover all of tax domestic and international. The only thing we don't really cover is customs because um, you have the World Customs Organization dealing with that. But um, so I suppose the role itself may not change that much. Uh, Perhaps the areas of emphasis will change. Well, I look forward to covering whatever comes out next.
0: Support for this podcast is provided by Practicing Law Institute. Check out Practicing Law Institute's tax planning program taking place this spring. This popular three-day event brings together esteemed faculty for an insightful review of the legislative, regulatory, and judicial developments in Subchapter K and important partnership transactions, controversies, and trends. For more details and to register, visit pli.edu slash taxplanning23. That's pli.edu slash taxplanning23. Tax planning, 23.
1: So what are you most proud of during your time at the OECD?
2: Well, I do think the elimination of bank secrecy uh, was a major achievement. And as I said, I really think that uh, that could not have been done without a global effort and without the political support that we had from the G20. This is something I started working on uh, when I first arrived was working on bank secrecy, and we put out a report which you probably have never seen called "Improving Access to Bank Information for Tax Purposes." It was so controversial then that we couldn't call it the Bank Secrecy report, and some of our secretive countries insisted we make it this very factual title and uh you know we knew what had to be done, but we just didn't have the political weight. And I think one of the things that the financial crisis taught us was how important getting political backing for major changes in tax policy, um, how much that is needed. Because we had done the work at the technical level, but technical people, they can only go so far. And to have that kind of fundamental Change in policy and try to push that in countries where their whole business model depended on it, you needed that political support. I guess the other thing uh, that I would add to things I'm proud of is the work we are hoping will be done soon on reforming Brazil's transfer pricing. I mean, I think from the day I arrived, and even before when I worked at the chief counsel's office, one of the things I worked on was the U.S. Brazil tax treaty, which as you know, does not exist. I worked on the negotiations and a big part of the challenge was that Brazil's tax policy in the international area was just so different from the rest of the world. And so having spent the last five years working with Brazil to help them move to the OECD standard, not for the sake of moving, but because they see now that they are losing revenue um with our current system that um a lot of multinationals are not paying tax in Brazil for uh value that has been created in Brazil i think it will be a major achievement to have taken uh a country from such a different position to uh the international standard
1: yeah that would be huge yeah i'm looking forward to seeing that too so what do you think you could have done better what do you wish you could have accomplished you didn't get to
2: Well, I guess on the substantive side, one of the things that I really uh, wish we had been able to spend more time on is looking at the uh, intersection of tax, trade, and investment policies and bringing all those things together. Because I do think, and we're seeing it now more than ever with the minimum tax and what that is doing to tax incentives and what that might mean for the subsidy space, you know, I really think uh it would have been nice to work on that. But I we just had so many big other projects, it was hard You're a little to busy. <laughs> fit that <laughs> in. <laughs> but I do think that is an area that is uh definitely worth exploring. Um on the sort of broader uh broader areas of CTP, not substantive, but I, I wish I would have been able to spend more time developing staff and uh, really helping them reach their full potential. I did do, I think, quite a bit of that. But um, it's really important in an international organization where you have people coming from different cultures, different work cultures, different languages, different tax systems. And so I think more support is needed than in the ordinary uh, workplace. But – Despite those things, I think uh, we have been able to accomplish uh, a tremendous amount. I will say that one indication of the fact that we have been doing pretty well is that all through the pandemic, we were hearing from other organizations and other parts of OECD how you know people were suffering from depression, isolation, and we didn't really have that in CTP, because everyone was so focused on delivering the pillars that there was a tremendous sense of purpose. And, uh, and I think that helped keep the, the team together. And we have a really great team spirit um, in working on all of these challenging, exciting issues. I guess that might answer my next question then, like, what will you miss most about the job? Oh, well, I, I will miss uh, the policy Um It is challenging, and there have been many challenging moments uh, over the last 25 years. But I do miss that. I mean, there's nowhere else where you can have this kind of impact on global tax policy. So that has been very exciting. I will miss the people, uh, all the delegates and the staff. Hopefully, I'll see them uh, still after I leave. But... Um, No, that has been just really great, getting to know people from around the world and uh, working with them to improve their tax systems, to improve the overall international architecture. So I think I will miss all of that. (laughs) What won't we miss? Oh, the um, I won't miss uh, working (laughs) 24-7. It's been really intense. I don't think people realize how much we all work. Um, I won't miss uh, the increasing bureaucracy that we find everywhere. Um, But um, no, I've had overall, it's just been a wonderful experience at the OECD. And I feel very fortunate that I somehow magically ended up there. <laughs> <laughs> so the big question then is, what will you do next? That was one question that you did not answer in that profile. All right. Well, um, I still don't know that I'll answer it in full, but I will take some time off. I am going to spend two weeks in Italy enjoying uh, uh, the uh, the very southern part of Italy. And um, then afterwards, I will do projects of interest. Uh, I am not looking for a full-time job. Um, I'm not actually looking for anything, but I have been uh, approached with a lot of different really interesting opportunities that will be time-limited, so um, I will be doing different things. Um, So that's it. I I just, uh, I'll just do some interesting projects here and there and uh enjoy life. That sounds like a great plan. <laughs> and I look forward to hearing more when the time
1: comes, uh, what you're be doing next. Will you still be in tax? You think will you be like Pascal and keep a foot in tax?
2: Um yes. Uh definitely. I mean, most of the the uh interesting opportunities that have been presented uh are related to tax, but I would like to do something beyond tax. Uh, so you'll have to stay tuned for that. Okay. One.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay well, thanks so much again. And, and w- I want to do something really fun, if you don't mind. Okay. okay. Do you know the um, Inside the Actor's Studio, that TV show with James Lutton? He's like the director of the New York University's uh, Tisch School of the Arts. And so he, he did, he'd interview celebrities and like ask them a Proust questionnaire. Okay. Really short, really fun. Okay. So what is your favorite word?
2: Favorite word? Oh, yes.
1: What is your least favorite word?
2: No. (laughs) What turns you on? Fun in the sun with friends. What turns you off? Arrogant people. What
1: sound or noise do you love? Oh, the sound of the ocean. What sound of noise do you hate? Complaining. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
2: Realistically or in my fantasy world, architect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What profession would you not like to do?
2: Well, I guess pick up the trash, given the situation in Paris. Uh (laughs) Is there a strike? A massive strike, trash piling up everywhere. Oof, okay. If heaven
1: exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
2: Oh, so glad you
1: finally made it. (laughs) Well, we are very glad you finally made it here to the office. So thank you so much for sitting with me and answering all my questions. And we'll, we'll truly miss you when you're gone. But uh, we will stay in touch, and uh, we were looking forward to seeing what you're doing next.
2: Thanks so much, Stephanie.
0: And now, coming attractions. Each week, we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Executive Editor for Commentary, Jasper Smith. Jasper, what will you have for us? Thanks, Dave.
3: In Tax Notes Federal, William Pauls examines the background and operation of the Life Non-Life Consolidated Return Regulations. Brian Reed examines some of the most pressing concerns regarding the broad funding rule introduced by Notice 2023-2. In Tax Note State, Richard Cram compares Pennsylvania's questionable due process violation determination in Online Merchants Guild with the Washington Board of Tax Appeals' well-supported finding that Amazon sellers had nexus where their inventory was stored and shipped to purchasers. Darian Chansky evaluates the California Office of Tax Appeals on its fifth anniversary. In Tax Notes International, Mindy Hertzfeld explores how Manal Corwin, incoming director of the OECD's Center for Tax Policy and Administration, can draw upon her experiences to take the organization on a different path from the one paid by former director Pascal saint amands Five practitioners with PwC examine how tax credits would be treated under the OECD's Pillar 2 proposal. In featured analysis, Marty Sullivan examines the claims made in a recent Wall Street Journal editorial regarding the extremely affluent paying their fair share of taxes. And finally, on the opinions page, Robert Goulder critiques
0: congressional plans for a carbon border adjustment mechanism. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at taxnotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com slash podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to tax notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk.